You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs, with Andrew Apanov. Hello, hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new edition of the Music Growth Talks podcast, and today we are talking about music licensing again, since this seems to be a fairly popular topic among you. If you only want to get into the music licensing game, or if you have tried it already but are still confused uh, uh, about how to make uh, real money by licensing your music, this episode is not going to disappoint, I'm confident in that. My guest on the show is Joyce Kettering, a professional musician who has mastered the art of writing and placing music. She shares her knowledge at uh, her website, Creative and Productive, where you can also find a few courses on getting your music license. I'm quite thrilled to bring it up because um, after this podcast uh, uh, call we did with Joyce, uh, she decided to give away her 30-day licensing challenge course, which normally costs $27, for free to the Music Growth Talks listeners. So for you it's free, you can unlock it with the Talk About Music Growth coupon code, all capital letters, once again Talk About Music Growth, and you can of course also find it in the show notes at dottedmusic.com. And uh, uh, yeah, so uh, check it out, free stuff is uh, always good stuff. And um, uh, this podcast episode is truly packed with useful advice, uh, especially for those artists who don't perform live much and don't have big audiences just yet and who want to start monetizing their music. Here you will find a real actionable path to doing just that. And I can uh, keep teasing it more, but I may just end up sharing everything uh, you're about to hear uh, now anyway. So instead, just be sure to listen to this conversation in full, and here we go. So Joyce, uh, welcome to Music Growth Talks. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Let me know how are you doing this morning. I'm doing very well. I still have my cup of coffee next to me, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, uh, Thanks a lot for for this opportunity I'm um, looking forward to talking with you about music yeah likewise and actually likewise about coffee so it's quite a rare occasion <laughs> that I have a recording of a podcast in the morning so we're in the same time zone that's quite cool so where where are you based right now actually I'm actually in Paris France and I never even looked that up exactly are you from Paris France yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, I'm half French, half American, and I've lived in England for a while, which is why I have a a weird twang, <laughs> a weird accent. But it's a bit of a mix of uh, everything. But uh, yes, I am from France, and right. I've lived in Paris most of my life. Awesome. Yeah, I saw the kind of the summary of where where you studied and so on, and it it wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't fully sure. So that's that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm. Very curious to to hear uh, to hear your story from yourself and uh, specifically how you got into the whole music licensing game. But uh, yeah, maybe you you mind sharing a little bit on on your background uh, in music. Sure. So, well, it all started when I was eight years old, <laughs> and as I was, uh, I have a classical music background. I studied at the conservatory. I studied the trumpet and piano for. 10 and 15 years and, you know, played in an orchestra. But then when I was 
when I went to college, I kind of uh, put that aside and just tried to learn the guitar to be one of the cool kids and only started being serious about music again when I was living in London. So I moved to London for work and and while I was there, I felt a bit isolated because, you know, my close friends and family were, were back in Paris. And I thought, oh, you know what, let's do let's go to music school because then I can make lots of friends, meet new people and, and I'll be doing music. Mm-hmm. So I studied sound engineering on Saturday mornings. And that's where I met my first music licensing mentor, really, because he was um, so at the time I was probably 26, 27, something like that. And he was only a few years older than me, but he was actually making, you know, like 6K every month from licensing his music, from writing music for trailers. uh, Mm -hmm. Mostly that was his specialty. But and he was just a really cool dude who was teaching me sound engineering. And and at that point, it just really made sense to me because for years, I had been writing music and playing music, but not really doing anything with it. I wasn't performing. I wasn't touring. And I didn't really feel like it. You know, it just, it just like, I love being on stage, but I didn't really have the energy to book lots of shows. And I also wasn't very attracted to the lifestyle of, you know, going to shows every week and sometimes several times a week. So right. when, when I, when he told me about this possibility that you could just write music and sell it to TV shows or filmmakers or, you know, trailer companies. It just, it was kind of a light bulb moment, you know, where I was like, ah, that's what I'd like to do with my music. I can do that. I can, you know, send out emails and talk to people and, and hang out with film school students and I can do that. And it would be really cool. And it all made sense because, you know, my music was already pretty cinematic. Like people would tell me that it sounded like movie music. So it kind of all came together yeah. at that point. Yeah, I just, I really like the point that how you uh, like the idea of selling your music to companies, roughly speaking, to uh, placing it for various licensing opportunities instead of just performing. Because I do think it's important lifestyle question not all musicians want to perform live the not everyone enjoys the there are different income channels clearly and different ways to develop yourself as a music act and choosing something that works for you is very important because if you do something that you feel like you have to do it's some i mean there is a lot of stuff that musicians have to do which they don't necessarily enjoy but i do think that this is an important point and that it's artists listening to us in particular, they need to know that they have the choice to uh, move in this, I refer to it as a B2B rather than B2C uh, direction, which is not very accurate, it's too corporate kind of term, but in a way. But you have you still been building some kind of audience for yourself as a musician online? No, so- not really. Uh, I've, no. I mean, I have a SoundCloud account and my music is on Spotify and, you know, all those platforms, but I don't do anything to promote it actively. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need that to increase your chances of being placed somewhere. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, there are TV shows that are looking for indie music, kind of up-and-coming indie musicians, so they would privilege performing artists. So shows like Suits, for example, they, mm-hmm. they like, you know, indie rock you know upcoming indie rock so 
for that type of show, I'm not in the pole position. But then for, you know, for sci-fi movies, I'm in pole position. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, so you, actually, yeah, yeah. and actually, that's that's a point that comes back to what you were saying, that you need to enjoy what you're doing. So that goes for, like, doing licensing if you're if you're not attracted to the lifestyle of um, of performing. But it's also about what kind of music you write. Like, I have so many people coming to me and saying, you know, what kind of music should I write for licensing? And my answer is always the same. You know, you should write what you want to, because if you start trying to write music that you think people want to hear, and I guess that's a, that applies for performing musicians as well, but I know for sure it applies to licensing. I mean, it's so competitive that if you're trying to write music that you don't particularly enjoy writing, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that someone else will be better at it than you. And also you'll get bored and you won't, you know, it'll be a pain to do it. So you'll give up, which is, you know, it's not the goal. <laughs> yeah, most probably some artificial intelligence app will write the music for you with the same I mean, it's quite scary topic, yeah. but anyway. So if you if you're not uh, putting your kind of creative uh, energy into uh, and don't enjoy the process of creation because it still needs to remain uh, an art, uh, as I see it, so it is very important that um, the music is uh, authentically created, even if it's created for uh, licenses and opportunities and uh, for specifically for placement because it needs to be real. So what you say here makes a lot of sense. And I can imagine there may be artists who want to get into this game but don't create music that is um, highly demanded in this area. But I imagine at the same time that all kinds of music can be placed if you're doing the right things with uh, with looking for, for the right opportunities, I guess. So I, we will get into the topic for sure, yeah, but... Sure. Yes. Yeah, so, what what happened? How you started uh, this whole process, and when? And uh, I think you achieved some good results within like a year after starting to pitch your music. So yeah, I mean, I started. I think it was three years ago. I think it, the summer of 2014. So what I did is I forced myself basically to submit music every day. Like just submit. Yeah, try to find music libraries online and just reach out to them. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about, I think, three months, something like that. And, you know, nothing much was happening. And then in December that year, I hadn't done anything in a while. And suddenly I, I started getting a few positive replies and placing my tracks in some music libraries. And then, you know, for... Another year, I didn't do much with music licensing. I, it was kind of on and off at first while I was figuring it out. And um, and I was working full time as well. So not always having the energy to, to focus on that. But then I refocused again on licensing and started submitting again to music libraries. And that's when it really took off because, you know, I did it over, over a longer period. And so... In, yeah, the stat I put forward is that in, in 2016, I wrote 100 songs exactly, actually. Mm-hmm. In and, just one year, yeah? Yeah, in just one year. But I did have a six-month sabbatical from work, so I do have a, you know, a special circumstances. I, I don't know if I could do 100 uh, while working full-time the full year. But, but, I mean, still, it was really good. I was really happy about it. And, yeah. uh, and I placed 53 in music libraries. 
And again, the 47 that I didn't place, it's a laziness really uh, that I didn't place in 2016. It's just being a bit lazy and not, uh, I'm, I still have a bit of backlog. I have some tracks that I haven't uh, pushed forward and, and submitted. So, but yeah, and that's, that's been doing well for me. So, you know, I'm earning a living from the music that is placed in music libraries. And I haven't done as much, well, I've done, yeah, direct to customer, but it hasn't been uh, very, I haven't been very prolific on that side. So it's actually my, uh, my focus for 2018 to, uh, to go more direct to the customer. And uh, now that the music is in music libraries mm-hmm. working for me, just try to, to create new opportunities as well, directly with uh, companies and, and other creative people. But I mean, that's amazing on, on how, how many uh, music you've created. I do think, and from what I, I hear from you, it is very important for the overall success in this area to have a proper back catalog of, uh, of music. But uh, just the fact that you've been placed and you started earning money within just uh, a few years, it's, uh, it, it is quite promising. And uh, I, you mentioned you already gave us an idea of how much time you spent on this, but... Um, yeah, so I'm always curious about that. I, I understand how how time-consuming it is, but I always want to hear it from uh, the musicians actually doing it. So maybe you can give an idea to to our listeners how much time... Maybe you can give an idea of uh, the minimum time spent for, I don't know, a week or month for anyone who... Mm, uh, wants to consistently submit their music. So we're not talking about the music creation process, which, uh, I mean, it it's can be different for, for different musicians depending on the genre and many other factors. But just how much time you actually need to spend maybe daily um, with messing with your metadata and <laughs> the submission process and looking for opportunities and so on to start seeing any kind of success? Okay, so... Um... It's difficult for me to say because I was doing it on and off, but what I can I can be very specific about the metadata. So let's say to to prepare the metadata for one track, mm-hmm. when you're first starting out, I would say you need to count an hour, like one full hour. And so what I do is I actually have a spreadsheet where I type in all the metadata for all my for my entire catalog so that I do it only once. Because at the beginning I didn't do that. And every time I would upload the music in a new library i would have to add you know come up with new keywords again and and metadata if you're going to do it properly you really need to you know take the time to do it so what i used to do when i was starting out is i would just listen to the track and write the first 10 words that came in you know that popped into my mind and that was it so my my keywords were very generic it was like you know love guitar a beat uplifting and <laughs> I don't know why I chose these examples because I actually have no upbeat love song but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a really cool I, but yeah my keywords were very generic now what I do is I actually have um, a list of keywords that I printed out and I listen to the tracks and I come up with at least 30 keywords per song and usually 50 so that way I can be more specific. And that means that when someone is looking for a specific keyword in the, in the music library, I have less competition because I spend the time finding, you know, a lot of relevant and, and specific keywords. So do you, do you use any keyword research tools for that? How do you find these keywords? You just come up with them? 
No, so I printed. So what I did is I uh, I copy pasted all the keywords that Audio Sparks, the mm-hmm. the music library that they offer, because uh, they're they are very demanding with the metadata, which I think is a. Um, I mean, they have a lot of restrictions when your music is with them. For example, you can't have it on Rumblefish or you know kind of cheap stock music libraries. So uh, Audio Sparks is not for everyone, but just to practice, I would recommend adding at least one track in there and just to see all the keywords they have. So I copy pasted those keywords into, you know, into Word doc and I printed out the doc. So I just have a hard copy, you know, two pager with a hundred or 200 keywords. And I just go through it. I, you know, I put the track on repeat, I listen mm-hmm. to it and I go through the list and I write, you know, I type in keywords as you know as i'm going through the list i type in keywords in my catalog tracker so that that's really helpful because you don't have to like your your brain can be lazy you're just reading through a list of keywords and whenever one makes sense and is appropriate i add it to my spreadsheet that's a really cool hack thanks for sharing what about the i mean since you mentioned i just have to ask you what about the cheap music libraries i we don't need to go into these too in too many details but do you have this distinction between uh so other kinds of libraries you don't even bother to submit to so well, i don't yeah. bo- i don't bother submitting to music libraries that license tracks for like one dollar a pop so just about I- yeah okay so when, when it's just cheap in terms yeah, of how much uh, you you for me yeah. i mean starting from um for my kind of crappy tunes <laughs> Starting from $20, I'm okay. Because, yeah, I mean, $20, I basically have to make 10, 20 sales to make it worth my time. So for the for the tunes that I don't think are amazing, $20 is fine, you know. I'll, uh... Okay, that makes sense. No, that, 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 that's good. Give me an idea of what kind of uh, figures we are looking into. So this is what you usually use on the sales pages and to attract people to your courses and stuff we always do because we want to show the what kind of money you can earn with music but seriously this is important and this is real because even with all the competition and so on it is possible to to get a placement in a in a cool tv show or in a movie so uh but realistically what kind of uh price range you are you're we are looking into or maybe you can give an example per you know oh. uh, placement type i think uh so the focus should be on the synchronization fee, the fee that you get paid up front. Because, I mean, at least in my case, backend royalties haven't been pouring in. You know, so the problem is even, you know, if you if your track ends up on TV, you're never quite sure if they're going to fill out the cue sheet properly. And it happens all the time that they don't. And you don't really get any royalties. So, and anyway, royalties are just tiny. That's it's the same as for streaming, for performing artists. You shouldn't be counting on royalties, you know, unless you hit the jackpot and do the theme title for the next Friends. Royalties are are an anecdote. At least in my experience, you know, there may be people who are who are making more money from royalties. So, my focus is on synchronization fees. So, what I try to do is I just try to get to put my tracks with music libraries that seem to sell more expensive music so i try to target premium opportunities so with you know with with those libraries you can fairly regularly make 500 bucks per per tune mm-hmm. and 
so I mean, you can make more. I but I I don't really write happy-go-lucky music, and it it is true that that type of music works really well in advertising, which is the highest-paying opportunities are out there is uh, are for advertising. So I don't really fit into into that category, but there's still good money to to make even if you're writing obscure experimental music. So I mean, if you want to be very pessimistic, I would say you can you know you'll be selling one track for twenty bucks thirty times, and if you want to be a little bit more optimistic, then you'll be selling it for hundred bucks or hundred and twenty bucks. But you can also aim for five hundred dollars fairly easily. Now, like two thousand dollar deals are not as common, but they, you know, they happen as well. But for someone just starting out, I would just focus on the twenty dollar deals and and little by little. Because the thing is, when you sign non exclusive deals, you can have that same track in like ten or fifteen different libraries, and you can sell them over and over and over again. So yeah. you know, even if you're just starting out and aiming for twenty dollar gigs. You can still start earning a a nice little side income fairly yeah, absolutely you know, fairly yeah. quickly. I love that. It's it's very realistic and and real because it's it's just as with the other side of uh, artist development when when you are just uh, uh, when you want to reach just listeners, just hoping that you will get signed by a major record label and. Uh, they will actually not dump you, but will uh, properly promote your record. It's just like hoping that you win a lottery. And it's the same with licensing. So many artists I, I hear just want to, to be placed in some big movie and earn some dozens of thousands from just one placement, which is not very realistic. What you're saying here is uh, sounds to me like an actual business plan that can be turned into a business plan. So just create a lot of music, place it in into different music libraries and start earning $20, $30 per sale. But uh, if you build up, it can can work out really nicely. So I do like that a lot. And somehow we haven't even heard this kind of advice on, on licensing on the show just yet, I believe. So I hope that it will give some hope to those who want to, to start doing more in this area. One question that is being asked a lot, and uh, I, I can imagine that you share some specific uh, resources to musicians you work with but for those who uh, who are just starting out do you have any kind of advice on researching music libraries how to find find them how to find if it's a good one how do you do that well i do a few things so uh, first of all i've made a lot of mistakes (laughs) when i first started out so uh i mean I think when you're just starting out, you need to accept that you are going to make mistakes and it's okay. And, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen. Having said that, to put all the chances in, uh, you know, to stack the odds in your favor, I would say always go. So, yeah, sorry. So to find the libraries, I just Google, you know, I Google stock music library. I Google royalty free music. And then now I know quite a few other musicians who are doing the same thing. So we share our resources. Uh-huh. Uh, but to to research the libraries, to make, so usually they will, so I check if they're non-exclusive. Right. So that, that's a mistake I've made in the past is that I sign, I think, three exclusive deals because they sounded really promising. Like uh, one of them had a really cool be- website and the other one was around since 1990. So I thought they'd be super reliable. And 
the third one, like I'm sure it's three exclusive deals, but I can never seem to remember the third one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Exclusive deals you should stay away from unless they're paying you a big advance. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, to this day, like my favorite tune is locked into an exclusive deal and it oh, just wow. makes me sad, you know. And um, and I've got hundreds, like I've got over 100 tracks, so it doesn't matter like financially, but still emotionally, it's, you know, I would Did like that. Did you earn that anything track. from that exclusive deal? No, yeah, because I should mention, so I signed three exclusive deals and none of them made me any money. Wow. So, like zero, not really nothing. And uh, I don't like, yeah, so go non-exclusive. If you have a huge catalog like I do, you could, if you really, really want to try an exclusive one, you know, try it with four or five tracks, but no more because there is a big risk that nothing will happen and you'll be stuck. So my favorite track is actually locked in a five-year deal. So it's okay. I know that in two years I'll be able to get it back. But I also have a few tunes that are locked in lifetime deals. Wow. But to be honest, they're not amazing. So it's okay. <laughs> but still, <laughs> but, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's probably good that you made these mistakes for because you, you know how you will never ever sign an exclusive deal unless it's a very good deal, I guess. Yeah, unless I have a really nice advance that I yeah. know... I know makes sense. So I check if it's non-exclusive. Of course, I check that the split is fair. So usually it's 50-50. Sometimes I sign a 60-40 in their favor, but usually, you know, uh, usually not. So AudioSparks, for example, they're a big player. So I, I tried it out. But, so I check for the split. I look at their organic search. So I, um, I check how much traffic they get mm-hmm. in Google because I figure, you know, if they have a lot of traffic... I'm probably not wasting my time if they have no traffic. And this is, I don't necessarily exclude them if they have no traffic because sometimes small boutique libraries will have almost no traffic on Google, but they'll be really good. So it's not a deal breaker. I just kind of try to make, if they're presenting themselves at this huge stock music library and they have three people coming on their website every month, you know, I'm staying away from them. And... Yeah, otherwise what I do as well is I check a lot of them will have categories where you can see how many tracks they have per category. So when I'm looking at new music libraries, I'm also checking if there are any gaps, obvious gaps in their catalog that I might be able to fill in. That's a good one as well. Yeah, that's yeah, very uh, actionable things here. So you you can actually start uh, googling and researching these libraries and uh yeah, you just uh Give us some very specific examples and tips on how to do that. Yeah, uh, and actually, yeah. if you um, there's cool uh, Chrome extension Alexa. Mm-hmm. Is it Alexa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. So it's it's really cool because if you find a music library, you can also just click on that extension and it'll give you similar like three similar sites. And I mean, it's the same with Google. If you do the search and then you, you know you, you can see related websites so if you find a few using google then you can use alexa to find another few so it just builds up that way you can uh yeah that's a good idea and also there are other google chrome extensions and extensions for other browsers which allow you to easily see the traffic and so on so seo kind of plugins which allow to analyze the websites what you just mentioned how to see if it's a popular one or not so it's uh yeah, good, good approach for sure. So have you been using any kind of um, uh, licensing marketplaces like uh, the two we featured on the show before, which are Music Gateway and Sound Trader? 
I'm not affiliated with the companies. I'm just curious if you yeah, have been so trying music those. Gateway, actually, I joined them when they were just launching. It was not populated. There were, you know, there were not many musicians on there. So Music Gateway, I've actually been meaning to go back on it and actually put in data, but I haven't taken the time to yet. And Song Trader, I am on Song Trader. I use the free plan. I really like Song Trader, actually. It's not bringing me money, but I like it. I like the platform. And I like their pricing tool. I think that's very helpful. Actually, that's something that when you're beginning, you can you know, use the pricing tool in SongTrader to have an idea of what you can charge. And also make sure you're not charging the low end because I don't know why as musicians we keep doing that and undervaluing our music. But if you're not valuing your music, other people won't. <laughs> So, you know, we need to get paid. So that's also why I don't go on, you know, $1 libraries. It's at some point you have to sell yourself. So, and you're not doing anyone any favor if you're just uh, selling yourself short. But I use SongTrader. I've, um, so I use the free account, which means I submit my music to like five or six opportunities every month. I've gone into some, you know, blanket licensing deals, but you know, so far, no money, but those license, you know, most of those blanket licenses, it's like you'll be paid in June 2018 or right, stuff like right, that. Right, so, right. But I like, I like the platform and I've been thinking about going with a pro plan, but because, you know, they favor people with a pro plan in terms of showing the music, which is normal. You know, it's, uh, I'm not bashing them. I, I do think it's a cool platform, but uh, so I've been yeah, I might experiment with a paid plan, but I I usually don't ever pay to play, so I'm on the fence about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on I'm only on the fence because I like the company. Otherwise, it would be a no way I'm paying. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that's a good point, and uh, it's it's definitely very important for these kind of companies to build a uh, report and a uh, really good relationship with musicians and uh, and and show that. Yeah, they can be trustworthy. No, that's uh, good stuff, and I appreciate your thoughts on this because uh, this is just pretty much the only licensing like marketplaces websites of the kind we kind of shared already on the show, and some uh, some of the listeners, you know, ask about about the platform. So I'm, but I'm not the one. We don't, we don't do as an agency. We don't do much in the licensing field. So I need feedback from from people like you who are doing it full-time essentially so i really appreciate your your uh, kind of just uh, you know unbiased feedback on on those so yeah, yeah, lots, I, I, have yeah. To, I have to say actually the two you mentioned music gateway and and song trader are you know are two that have my goodwill because there are others out there that you know i think are are just kind of scams so you've definitely chosen the two that uh <laughs> that i don't think are scams i think that you know they have a business model and they're respectful of artists so yeah yeah that thank you thank you for mentioning that i'm I'm just thinking should we mention any of the bad ones will we be sued here no i don't think it will be too bad but up to you so if you want if you feel free to mention at least a couple that people should avoid in your opinion no i mean you know they yeah they do what they want but i personally stay away of any pay-to-play platform so any platform that says you need to pay $5 to submit your music, mm-hmm. you know, per song. I say no. So places like, and I'm actually doing a lot of research on these places, a future article. So I've asked 
a lot of other musicians and there are some success stories out there it seems so you know it may work for some people but i'm just if basically if you're gonna pay platforms like taxi or broad jam what i would recommend is that you monitor your expenses for three months let's say Mm -hmm. so you write down how much you spend for three months and at the end of the three months you write down how much you earned and if it makes sense for you to continue continue but otherwise you know don't think you're gonna hit the jackpot (laughs) it just makes sense you know if you were i don't know it's like those weight loss things if you you know if you do it for three months and you don't lose a kilogram or a pound then maybe you should stop so i don't know i just don't use those services i don't i do know some people who have had small deals with them but i and actually also know one musician who who said she she has earned a huge deal, like she hit the jackpot with one of them. But I don't believe in that business. I think it's um, for 99% of musicians, it's just gonna stealing your money. Um, uh-huh. and yeah, I, I hear what you mean here. And I, I, I really appreciate your, your approach to this. You're not bashing anyone uh, here directly, no, no, but absolutely. it's just a very objective. And I fully agree with, I, I with just, what you're saying. I stay clear of that, but... Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And this is important. Once again, we want to help uh, artists new to this to avoid the possible, you know, mistakes they they may do. And and those pay to play kind of uh, platforms are very popular and uh, a lot of musicians actually use them before they can figure out if there is a better way. So yeah, the, the, I mean, there are so many other areas of this that I can be asking you about. Maybe you you. I understand that we need to wrap it up soon, but in, I will ask you about uh, the places where our listeners can find out more about you and learn more from you before we finish. But yes, I know that you've uh, been communicating with a lot of other musicians. You've been re- doing a lot of research and you've been interviewing some uh, music supervisors. Are there any particular uh, tips that stand out, uh, something that you discovered uh, relatively recently, so something fresh maybe from the couple from the last couple months that you just some kind of really cool fresh insights that you'd like to share with with us? Well, I think what I've learned is that there's no one way. So basically you'll be talking to 10 supervisors and they'll say 10 things different like you know, you'll ask them, uh, what platform should I use to send you a streaming link? And they'll have their favorites. You'll have successful, like musicians who are successful at music licensing, who have thousands of tracks and others that only have 30. Um, you'll have people who are successful that have, you know, really happy tunes and others that will, you know, be writing death metal and they'll still make a living licensing their music. So I think from talking to all these different people, the insight, the kind of breakthrough I've had is is to not assume anything and just do it in a way that I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's uh, helpful. That's fascinating. <laughs> that is helpful, I think. That's so interesting, right? So, we, yeah, we, we need to, we'll need to figure out our own, own way. I think it's very uh, promising. If I can just give a few examples, because maybe that just pseudo philosophical. But um, so yesterday, for example, I had a musician send me indie rock track, saying, "Yeah, I'm writing indie rock. I, I prefer metal and and heavy metal, but 
you know, I know it's better for licensing to write indie rock, so here's my track. And I was like, and the track is good, you know, it's nothing special, but it's a good indie rock track. It's really, you know, pleasant to the ear. And I was like, well, actually, I just, metal and heavy metal are very much in demand in music licensing. You know, if you look any, if you watch any uh, sports show, you know, or even reality TV, like people don't think about it. I mean, I'm not recommending you should watch reality TV, but if you do, <laughs> you'll notice the variety of music that is used on on these shows is astonishing. They'll have heavy metal, they'll have, you know, hip hop, they'll have happy tunes, they'll have country music, like just little jingly guitars. Right. So yeah, I mean, that musician was just assuming he had to do something he didn't particularly enjoy to, you know, to be able to sell it. And as we mentioned earlier, if you do that, you're not going to hold the distance because you'll be bored, you won't be passionate about it. And the yep. music, from my experience, from when when I, I hear an artist doing something just for this like business purpose, the music isn't good from what I've heard uh, in the past. Yeah. So compared I mean, to the main genre, yeah, I mean his, his the track he sent me was good. It's just it's probably you know it's people who are really into indie rock would probably have that's what I mean exactly. With, yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. More touch and, yeah. And I've tried writing happy music. In the past, thinking, you know, uh, I'll hit the jackpot with advertising. And the tracks did okay, you know, I mean, but there are nothing, you know, they don't do better than my sad tracks or, you know, orchestral pieces. So, yeah, yeah. I would basically, yeah, the insight is don't assume anybody wants anything special. Just, you know, do it your way and it'll work out. Obviously, you know, you need to kind of take a step back once in a while and figure out what has been working and what hasn't and adjust the course. But yeah. That's, that's so, great. Yeah. And it gives uh, hope to anyone in uh, very, very specific music niches in terms of the, the genres. So maybe, yeah, if you create something that's not extremely popular on these resources, you need to be on this in these music libraries because you won't have too much competition So when someone yeah. is looking for a side trance track, I don't know, they will they <laughs> will be example. happy to, do, to discover it. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Because if you if you said that uh, there is just one formula to achieving success in music licensing, then it would be kind of sad because if everyone could follow that formula, it would just not be effective anymore at all. So it's good that uh, musicians have to still figure it out on their own. But uh, they definitely can avoid the common mistakes and learn the best practices. And I do know that you, this is something that you've been helping other musicians with. And this is quite amazing. So, uh, yeah, so please uh, share with us where we can find out more about you. Obviously, all the links are in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, so where, where can musicians specifically learn more from you? Well... I have this website called creativeandproductive.com and I just post a lot of of articles on licensing. There are a few, you know, uh, productivity and creativity tips and tricks in there as well, but uh, it's mostly about about music licensing, so clarifying exclusive, non-exclusive deals, retitling deals, how to find... Uh, actually, uh, the question you ask, how to find the right music libraries for you Uh, stuff like that. So creativeandproductive.com is the best place for musicians to check out what I do. Yeah, excellent. Do you want to mention anything about the course? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I created a couple of courses. I, I have a, you know, a low entry one that's only $27 where it's like a 30 day challenge. So for complete beginners that, that can be good because it's, um, it's basically every weekday, a new lead. So I have included leads that are not great in there. So for example, I've included a couple of exclusive leads in there on purpose because I want the people to do the research and to also when they find an exclusive deal do the research and like it's I mentioned it in the notes though that it's exclusive so they kind of get the red flag and (laughs) don't submit but the idea is to have them kind of take matters in their own hands so I give them you know out of the 20 leads because it's over 30 days I give them some really cool leads and some not as good that they might want to research some more and every weekend there's like a kind of an admin challenge to do the boring stuff. So, uh, you know, getting the alternative versions for the tracks, uh, doing the metadata, uh, stuff like that. So there are four admin challenges, which are very helpful because they were very important. So that's like the low entry course. And otherwise I have a, you know, I have kind of a premium course, which is uh, the six month roadmap I created for myself to get my music license. So I try to go through the process every, you know, twice a year. <laughs> basically. And, you know, month one is about figuring out where you can submit your music. So finding new leads and, and then actually submitting the music, how you reach out to music supervisors and, and music libraries. And it's pretty cool because, um, well, yeah, it's just you have a clear roadmap of what to do. And there's one action to take every um, every step of the way. Every week, there's kind of an action you can take to move forward. So that yeah. can be really helpful. That for... is that is important. I, I can confirm yeah. from my experience and we, we, we've created different kind of courses for this. Excellent stuff. So we are looking, linking to everything once again in the show notes. So for this very episode uh, at datamusic.com, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really easy to find all the links that's to the resources that you mentioned here. So Joyce, thank you so much for all the fascinating, cool insights that you shared with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It was uh, it was great talking to you, and uh, you know we we should do it again sometime. Absolutely, not necessarily, yeah. necessarily a podcast, but just Absolutely. talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely will do. So thank you. <laughs> cool. I do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And just as I told you earlier, that uh, 30-day challenge course uh, Joyce just mentioned is free to you, the Music Growth Talks listeners. You can find the course at creativeandproductive.com in the courses section. The coupon is talk about music growth. I really like the look of this coupon code, by the way. So all capital letters talk about music growth. You can also find it in the show notes at musicgrowthtalks.com or datamusic.com. So datamusic.com is uh, the place to go to. Uh, there is uh, a blog post with uh, all the you know, description and the links and uh, the show notes uh, for this very episode. If you have any feedback or thoughts, please leave them at soundcloud.com uh, forward slash wispin. Uh, just find the show there unless you're listening to it right there already uh, or which is even better at patreon.com slash andrew if you are my patron and if not consider becoming one for as low as one dollar per month uh, it's very well worth it especially with all the 
cool things I'm about to start uploading there just for patrons very soon. You can also consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. For this show, it helps uh, the podcast being discovered by more musicians, so always appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I really appreciate you being here with us, and uh, thank you. Till next time. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanov. Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.